So, the, as I mentioned, the title of our teaching series that we're starting today is What We Really Need, and it's a study of uh, some of the prayers that are found in the New Testament. Probably the most famous prayer that's found in the New Testament is uh, the Lord's Prayer, which, of course, isn't a prayer the Lord actually prayed, but it was a prayer the Lord gave when he told us, when somebody asked him, how should we pray? And he said, well, you should pray sort of like this. I, that, that particular prayer, I'm not sure we're going to get to in the series. What we're going to look at instead is the prayers where, uh, really, where Paul just tells the church how he's praying for them. There's a particular reason we're going to do this. So, um, let's move that more over there. That's going to sound. I'm recording here, Frankie, so I didn't want that so close. On that side, maybe? Probably. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll know when we listen to it. So I wanted to, uh, the, the title is What We Really Need. So I wanted to begin with this series of questions for you to think about. You could even jot some things down if you wanted to about in answer to these questions. One is, what have you been praying for lately? Uh, we tend to pray for the things we think we need. Uh, or here's another way of asking, well, what do you pray for most? What's the thing that you most frequently pray for? So someone might uh, pray for good health or for their ch safety of their children. Uh, well, actually, this doesn't say what do you pray for most. It says who do you pray for most. <clears throat> what do these people need? So maybe you have uh, children or grandchildren or spouse or other people that you pray for. What, what are you asking for when you pray for these people? It's just something to think about. But then this sort of turns into the question, how do, you do, how do you determine what someone needs? Here's, here's what I think about this. I don't really stop and think about it much. I just sense a need. I think, uh, well, they're sick, they need healing. They're hungry, they need food. They're tired, they need rest. They're, you know, I just sense a certain set of needs. And I would say this not only about the people I care about, but also about myself. Uh, how do I determine my own needs? Well, there's not like some thought process I go through to say, well, check this to work my way through this process and at the bottom of the process I have a list of the things I need. No, I just need stuff. I, in fact, we kind of use the word need to mean our sense of lack. <laughs> well, there's a guy, you might have heard of him. His name was Maslov or Maslow. I'm not sure exactly how to say his name. He was a psychology professor. And uh, this little triangle chart over here is a thing he sort of invented. It's a modified version of the thing he invented. It's sort of famous. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. You've probably heard of it. And his theory was you start at the bottom and sort of work your way up. 
So if you have physiological needs like food, clothing, shelter, <laughs> that's where you start. And if you get those needs met, then you move on to safety needs and then you move on to needs for belonging or relationship, love. Then you move on to needs of self-esteem as in uh, respect, uh, respecting yourself and other people respecting you. And the top of his pyramid is called self-actualization, which is something like realizing your potential. So we all have some idea of what, what could be and self-actualizing is us sort of realizing what could be. Now, uh, some clever person came along and said, hey, there's something below our physiological needs on the hierarchy, that, that is we all need Wi-Fi. <laughs> and it's only when we get our need for Wi-Fi settled that we move on to <laughs> food and water, food and shelter. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Okay. <laughs> that's the base. Sorry, yeah, that's really the base, yeah. Foundation. Only after you have yeah, Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> but I would put that as health. As a who? Health. Health would be there for you. Yeah, right? Ah, okay. Health. health. If you have yeah. health, you have everything. Yeah. Have health, and that's... You have physical health, then you move on forward. Right, and that's kind of what the physiological <laughs> level is about. Yeah. yeah. So now this is uh, Maslow's was his way of explaining what motivates people to do things. You know, they're trying to meet these needs, and these are needs people sense. In other words, he, he's he's his basic claim is nobody has to tell anyone about these needs. We we have a sense of these needs, and our our sense sort of comes out in these layers, but, you know, we, we have a sense of what we need. So, with that framework in mind, I just wanted to focus on three passages of Scripture. Uh, the first one is Jeremiah 17, 9. It's a verse you might have heard before. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10 says, I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So verse 10 answers the question in verse nine question is, well, the proposal of this verse is, you can lie to yourself and believe it. Yeah. You repeat it often enough, one day you yeah. yeah. Sometimes on the first try, because yeah. it's really what you want to believe, right? <laughs> so we're capable of self-deception. In fact, this verse, I would say, says, yeah, it's more than you're capable of it. It's that you are prone to it. It's kind of a tendency in yourself to deceive yourself. And in Proverbs 28, 26, There's a proverb kind of about that same thing. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. <laughs> now, I would say that pretty well categorizes all humanity as foolish. Yeah. Uh, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. He who walks in wisdom will be delivered. One thing you, I think you could correctly infer from that set of sentences is The source of wisdom is not your own mind. 
Interesting. That's, yeah. <laughs> a little harder than just. It is. <laughs> it, it, this is troubling. Uh, in Romans 8, this comes back around to prayer. What are you praying for? Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, as we ought. <laughs> this is another critique of human understanding in the Scripture. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So that goes back to Apart, I'm divine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Yeah. So, here's a question. Given what these scriptures say, how should you go about determining what you and others around you need? So I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need. I have a sense of what I need. But... <clears throat> How trustworthy is it? Sometimes there's a very thin line between what you need and what you want. Yeah. That's yeah, in fact, what I feel the need yeah. for is something I really just more desperately want. <laughs> so desperately want it. <laughs> and so I desperately want it bad enough to say I need it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's a couple of things to think about with reference to these scriptures, first of all, I want to recognize that my own perceptions are faulty at best. My own perceptions of my own needs or the needs of others. That's why you have to trust. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. I need help with this. Yeah, of course. Oh, there's a need. Uh, and this is a need I might not... That's a major need. Yeah. You need help to understand your own needs. Right, and it's a need I might not sense. I might need to be told. I think all of us have uh, experience with this, especially with regard to children, right? What if you ask a child what he needs? How good is his answer? It's... It's not, it's not a very smart answer as a general rule. If, if you sit down at the dinner table and say, okay, what do you need for dinner? Your child is going to not have good nutrition. No. Ice cream, candy. I get that. Then a little later, some uh, medical treatment. Uh, so the other thing I think we would say is from, based on these scriptures is there is someone who does know what we need for real who's absolutely acquainted with our needs and correctly we call this person the father just like in relation to your kids sitting down to the dinner table who in this relationship is better informed about the needs of the kid, the father. Our father is perfectly informed about the needs of his children. So what we want to do is look to God and his word <clears throat> to learn about what we really need. And I, that means to sort of see who I am to see also who he wants me to be and how he plans to get me from here to there.
what is necessary for life. Do you know that there's a verse in scripture that says God has granted to us everything that is necessary for life? <laughs> and godliness, which is necessary for life. Anyway, uh, so it makes sense to me to think, well, I should pay attention to God. Now, that verse in Romans that we read a minute ago, Romans 8, 26, says something very important. It says, in a certain respect, that it doesn't matter that you don't know what you need. Because he does. <clears throat> it says, when we pray, we don't know what to pray for. We're like praying dummies. We're like the kid sitting down at the table and saying, bring me some ice cream. But that very same scripture says the spirit intercedes. So when I pray, the spirit also prays. And he prays according to the will of God. So he prays correctly so that when my prayers get to the Father's ears, they've been sort of modified. So I say, well, let's say it like this. Let's say one of the parents is in the kitchen getting the meal ready, providing the meal. The other parent is addressing the kids. The kids say, we need ice cream and candy for dinner. The parent, being wise, goes into the kitchen and when he or she places the order, <laughs> he doesn't say ice cream and candy, but Broccoli. green beans. <laughs> yeah, good nutritious food. I can't say anything about what good nutritious food is because I don't know, but <clears throat> he, he prays he delivers the request according to sound, wise and the judgment. The, the kid gets fed correctly. Now, here's something I've noticed sometimes when I pray. Also, I have a hard time recognizing answers. I think this is part of the problem because I'll pray for something. The Lord will answer my prayer but because there's a mismatch between what I said and what he gives, I don't always notice that my prayer is getting answered. Uh, well, this, is, this also is okay because he's taking care of the whole situation. So, all that in mind, what the... What the saw in the end result. Yeah, the Lord knows what he's doing. He takes care of Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so, with all that in mind, here's the basic premise of our, of this study series. And this is going to be a short lesson because we're not going to actually do it today. We're just going to notice what we're doing. <clears throat> In the scripture, you have the apostle describing how he's praying for the church or for Christians. This is very interesting if we stop and notice this thing about looking to the scripture to find out what our needs are. Because my theory is whatever Paul records in his book to the, in his letter to the Ephesians. Here's what I'm praying for you, Ephesians. Whatever is the content of that prayer must be something that the Ephesians really need and that God must provide. In other words, Paul's not saying, here's what you should do or here's what you need to get for yourself. He's saying, here's what I'm asking God to give you. Well, whatever he's asking God, and then this is recorded in the inspired word of God. So whatever he's asking God, recorded in the inspired word of God, he probably prayed a lot of things for the Ephesians that are not in the text, right? 
but this stuff is. So we know what whatever's that is must be something they really need. And since the book of Ephesians is not just for them, but also for us, it must be something we really need. And something we can't really provide to ourselves. Because Paul is saying, I'm not asking you to get this. I'm asking God to give it to you. And apparently you need to know that I'm asking God to give it to you. Because it's right here in the scripture. So what we have in this list of scriptures I have in the, in the bottom half of your uh, handout here is a list of these prayers. That, now this is, this is a good list, not necessarily a comprehensive list. Uh, and the last prayer on this list is John chapter 17 which is not a prayer of the Apostle Paul. It's a prayer of Jesus for his disciples and himself, but primarily his disciples. And now that, that uh, we've studied recently in church, but <clears throat> it's, that, that prayer is a long prayer. It's got, it's got a lot of stuff, I think six or seven different things Jesus asks for, depending on how you divide it up. Uh, and so I'm, I'm thinking we'll conclude with that. And by the time we get to that, we will have all forgotten that we just went over this in church recently and it'll be a good, a good review. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, I just want to read. We'll see how far we can go. Uh, I just want to read these scriptures and I want you to listen for what is Paul asking for and what do I need uh, that's revealed to me in these prayers of Paul's. So let's start with Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Then here's the content of the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, that was a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there, isn't there? Uh, that, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So I think, oh, one of the things I need is to know God. Uh, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know. So there's a list of things you need to know here. What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Hmm. Well, now that's a list of things I don't believe I would have come up with. But it's apparently a list of things I need. Hmm. Okay, we can't get too much into these. I could, you know, I can teach a whole lesson on each one of these, which is what we're going to do. <laughs> but the, 
uh, Ephesians 3, just kind of across the page in this particular Bible, in verse 14, Paul says, for this reason. You know, now we've looked at two passages of Scripture that begin with the phrase, for this reason. Yeah. I wonder what the reason is. Can't, can't stop now and pay any, too much attention to that. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's stringing a bunch of stuff together. Wow. Wow. That is a, that's a string that goes like this. I'm praying that he'll give you this so that you'll have this, so that you'll have this, so that you'll have this, so you'll end up with this. It's like a string and it has a root. And the root is strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. <coughs> okay. So, again, I don't think that's something I would have come up with. And it's clearly something I cannot do for myself. I cannot strengthen myself with power by through his spirit. His spirit must do these things. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so again, we're seeing something, a, a need. I'm not sure I have a very good sense of this need, but apparently I have the need. And it's a need for a resource that doesn't come from me. Well, that's true, really, of all needs. Something we might want to notice. Uh, the book of Colossians, <clears throat> chapter 1. Here we have prayer, Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. It's kind of similar to his prayer for the Ephesian church in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, there's that knowing God thing again being strengthened, I've heard that before, with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Man, there's a lot of stuff in here. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Okay, so here I need to know his will, I need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I need to bear fruit in every good work. I need to increase in knowing God. I need to be strengthened with power to endure, to be patient with joy, to give thanks. <laughs> it's a long list. And again, there's a bit of a chain of causation here. So he starts with a thing that leads to a thing that leads to another thing that leads to another thing that they're not even thinking about. Probably, right? Yeah. And, you know, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That in the scripture, in the letters to the churches, the apostle is revealing to us something we need revealed to us. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. And here, if we're talking about things he's praying that God would give us, 
Well, that's something I need. And that's something I need to look to God to receive. Hmm. Philippians chapter 1. Now we're going back the other way for a second. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hmm. I think the basic need here is that love may, that your love may abound. Interesting. Apparently, abounding love is needed in order that you may approve what is excellent. We might think that excellence and love are not necessarily connected. They're connected here. For me to, to approve what is excellent means for me to see it means I have I've abounded in love first. <clears throat> Apparently an unloving person is not perceptive of excellence. That is something really important. Hmm. Okay, that's just well, off the cuff, you know. Now we're going to Philemon. We're going to look closely at all these things. Just, you know, just so you know. bear that in mind. Yeah. i got to remember where Philemon is in the Bible. It's one of these way in the back. I think I've went past it now. I have a master's degree in the Bible, just so you know. But I'm not sure where Philemon is. Timothy, I think it's right after Titus. Here's the problem with finding Philemon. It's all on one page. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> all right. Verse, it only has one chapter, so it's Philemon verses 4 through 7. Now, here, Paul is talking about his prayer for a guy. Philemon is the name of the guy. <clears throat> he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. You know, we've heard something like that in a lot of these, haven't we? Paul's saying, I'm praying for you because I've heard of you. Anyway, and he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in you, in us, sorry, for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Fellowship of your faith would do would become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I have another translation. Says, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Yeah. That's a pretty good, I like that, because uh, it kind of explains what this says in some good ways. One of the translate, ways of translating this text is, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, and the word here is koinonia, fellowship, or, or uh, what was the word you had there? The, no, before that, I pray that the, I pray that you partnership. your partnership, Partnership or fellowship are better translations than sharing in this instance because when we use the expression sharing your faith, we mean something like witnessing. And that's not really what he's talking about here. <clears throat> he's talking about this more general concept of fellowship in the faith or our partnership together. We're on the same team. Uh, 
and that that will be effective. And what's it going to be effective in? This understanding of all the gifts that we possess in Christ. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's something. Uh, that is like so out there compared to what we perceive we have. Yeah. That is like right. very, very pale. It's very abstract, right? Like, and so it's not this, it's not a need that we have that immediate sense of. Yeah. No, it's nowhere to be found. Well, you might find it at the very top of the pyramid if you use the scripture to inform what should be at the top of the pyramid, because we are talking about something like human flourishing from a biblical point of view, yeah? Like, what does it really mean to be a full-on human being in Christ full of the Holy Spirit is what we're talking about. That I, that I really need, but I am getting distracted by the bottom of the pyramid, right? Yeah, your mind's not gonna take you there. Your mind most is not, not unless it is informed by God in his word. So yeah. He leads me to paths of righteousness. Uh, I can't find this. You don't lead yourself. No. <laughs> There's no sense talking about leading yourself. That's dumb. It's not even possible. Uh, so although, although, I need his shepherd. A man tends to look for that naturally. Correct. That's right. And that's what Maslow is noticing that there's things we just naturally move toward. And what we need is nature, to inform that list by these things we find in the scripture where we don't, because of our fallen condition, we don't just naturally notice. Very interesting. So, one more, Romans 15. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. I really don't care for this translation because in the original text, this is about how we think. And it uses the word phroneo, which is the word for thinking that we would, and I'm guessing your translation says, would think alike. Should I read? Yeah. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind yeah. toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Yeah. And that translation has a different set of issues, but anyway, you don't need to worry about that. I mean, these are all some really smart guys' effort, really good effort to try to capture what the text says. So here it says that we would, uh, I lost my place, it, live in such harmony with one another. What's missing here is a harmony of thinking or even a unity of thinking that we would be of the same mind. Uh, yeah, anyway, so that Oh, sorry, that we would live in such harmony with one another in accord with, Je with Christ Jesus. So if you were to ask the question, what's the unifying factor? It's Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the thing we need? I would say it's something like this, unified worship. With one voice, we glorify God. And worship, we've got to say, is not just church services, though church services are essential. 
it's also life. The, here it's, it goes, it, it includes, encompasses, and goes beyond the thing you call a worship service to all of life. And here we are seeing something about how we need each other in that. In the modern age, we tend to really individualize how we live as Christians. You go to church so that you'll be the sort of Christian you individually need to be when you're in the world. Uh, the communion and community of the body is meant to be more inclusive. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, we're not going to read all of John 17. I encourage you to read it and see what did Jesus ask for when he was talking to God about us? It is a ridiculous list. I mean, there is things on that list you can't even imagine. Things like that they would have my joy in fullness. <laughs> uh, hello. Things like that, that the disciples, the body of Christ, would be one just like you and I are, Father. <laughs> I don't have the same strong sense of that need that he has. But that's why we're doing this study. So uh, that's the general idea. If we want to think about what we really need, then one approach to that will be to study these prayers and to think through what does the apostle say we need when he's talking to God. So the first thing you establish with Jeremiah, Proverbs, and Romans is we're not that smart. We need it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, basically, those verses say to me, you know, don't be too trusting of your own judgment. That's right. You know, you're capable of lying to yourself and falling for it. Wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm putting it too nicely. Like, Jeremiah doesn't put it that nicely. No, he the heart is deceitful above all things. That's not nice. <laughs> Right <laughs> yeah, and hard on it, you know, like I, I want to say, yeah, I can, be modest. I can deceive myself or rationalize. What Jeremiah says is you're always deceiving yourself. <clears throat> so you need some help <laughs> with your own self and your own so thinking. You know and, uh, sorry. So you know that the better. Oh, that. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah. So, there you have it. Okay. My question is about the Sabbath. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, what can you tell me about the Sabbath? I mean, to me, the Sabbath seems to um, have been forgotten. Ah. Uh -huh. You know, during the years. And you see right now, almost no one really yeah and there's different ways of <clears throat> there's different ways of paying attention to it as well um, there's there's a couple things I would say just off the cuff um, and one is I think the time when it was sort of let go was in the age of the apostles and the apostles themselves kind of let go of it in a certain way so that by the time you get to the writing of the New Testament, it's, it's either not a, a, a forefront consideration, if that makes sense, or uh, it's shifted days. Like, it seems apparently to shift days in, in Acts, although the day itself uh, is also not considered to be critical. And so you see in like the book of Colossians, I believe, Paul says you shouldn't be, basically you shouldn't be 
too concerned about keeping days, including the Sabbath. He uses the word Sabbath in particular. I seem to have a problem, a problem with it. Okay. You see, because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Ah. And it is stated in the Ten Commandments, not nine. So, so to me, <laughs> it is important. Okay. And the scripture says, don't judge each other about this. So if it's important to someone, that's fine. And, it and if it's not important to someone, that's also fine. The, I would say this about that particular it's, verse of scripture. If we're, we have to be careful about applying that to the law of Moses. Uh, because uh, the, then essentially we would have to then say then that in the church we would have an obligation to follow all of the law of Moses. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the hundreds of others. And in the, in the age of the apostles, in the age of the apostles, there was a, a specific decision made in the church with regard to keeping the law. So there's a conference of the apostles. This is in Acts. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I really, I really, really think that the Ten Commandments are that important. That's, well, okay. That's, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, all of here's here's the uh, here's here's what happened in the book of Acts. There was a conference, and they said, "Well, do Gentiles need to follow the law as like become Jews in order to become Christians?" And the decision of the apostles was no. They did, and I think you'll find repeated in the New Testament, virtually all of the moral teaching of the law of Moses apart from the Sabbath. It's very interesting. So that the, and then in that particular decision, they say, well, you need to take care of the poor. You need to, there's, a, there's two or three things they mention. What's conspicuously absent from the list is circumcision, the sign of the old covenant and the keeping of the Sabbath is not mentioned. Now, that's an argument from silence. You could say, well, they don't mention it. That doesn't mean, you know, it shouldn't be considered. Traditionally in the Christian church, the Sabbath has shifted. They, they haven't completely, the church hasn't completely given up the idea of the Sabbath, but it has sort of modified it. And, and so, Churches that teach some form of keeping the Sabbath as part of the moral law of God tend to say, well, but the Sabbath is now on Sunday, the day of the resurrection. And that's grounded in the shift that you see in the book of Acts, where they shift from worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday. And then there, but then the day is a day of rest. So stop do some of the same principles apply get applied like don't work on that day. Friday sundown <clears throat> right Saturday sundown yeah I think my own personal opinion is that the that in the new covenant there's there's a much broader application of the principle in that we're now in in the day uh, as in the age of Sabbath rest, or we're approaching it in the church so that we, in the book of Hebrews, for example, we rest in Christ, period, like once and for all. And for, so in that sense, every day is a Sabbath day. And so there's a, there's a bit of a shift. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of Study you feel the shift from Saturday to Sunday. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what, what's happening on Sunday should be happening on Saturday. According yeah. to, I don't know if I'm wrong. That's why well, I Well, uh, yeah, I, you and I wouldn't agree about that, but... <laughs> <laughs> One of the things the scripture says specifically about this is 
don't nag each other about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I understand. And so I'm not going to bug you it's about. Okay, yeah. yeah, you yeah. better change I've the subject, Kyle. Hey, thank you, thank you for the, for the reply. Really. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there, and there's a lot of study given to this topic on, from just about it. It is a topic to be studied. Sure. You know, the interesting thing was when Jesus was attacked kind of by the, the Pharisees because he was walking through a field and he picked a piece of wheat and he ate it. <laughs> okay, so they got on him because that was like work, right? Yeah. yeah. And his answer was, is Sabbath made for man or is man made for Sabbath? Because what they were doing was they were making so many laws and where does it stop? Yeah. Okay. Where does that end? And then he says on and on and deeper and deeper until you're I think also you see in the in the new covenant a a sort of general release from uh, relating to God under law. In other words, uh, it's not that the law quits existing or is not good or sound, but that. It, in Christ, Christ, Christ fulfilled the law in a certain sense, and so we relate to God in the Spirit rather than in under the law. And now that doesn't mean what's right isn't right and what's wrong isn't wrong. It just means we have a, a fresh approach. This is how we get to every day is a Sabbath, because. In Christ, we rest in Christ, Amen. and we don't we don't make ourselves acceptable to God by keeping any of the rules. Well, right, right. And Jesus was looking for opportunities to break the Sabbath without actually breaking it. But we would not say that Jesus broke the Sabbath. That's no, because Jesus was perfectly obedient to the law. Yeah, he, uh, but he did that. things that he knew they would regard as breaking the Sabbath. Yeah, healing a person, doing a good thing. And he says, and he says, it's, he says it's good to do good on the Sabbath. It doesn't have to be literally. But it has it's, not a, it's not like this. Yeah. So, yeah, so concrete letter of the law thing, yeah. Yeah, you're going to go get your sheep out of the hole, right? And then he makes an argument that he's healing on the Sabbath. It's better to take care of people than sheep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly right. yeah. It, it, and they had built up a I'm, lot of rules around. I'm satisfied with the, with the answer. There. <laughs> really? Because what, what, what you mentioned just now, the passage, uh, it's just like he had in the preaching of the way back. If someone is racist against eating meat, right? Well, yeah. This is right. And you, you don't approve eating meat. Yeah. You're not gonna make it. Uh, you're not gonna fall. Well, if he eat meat, he's not eating meat. Well, and so in that, gonna, you know, yeah, this is Romans. This is Romans 14, and he specifically speaks in this text about esteeming a day. Uh, I'm just gonna read it because he just reminded me of it. Uh, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Don't quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the person, while the weak person eats only vegetables. This, by the way, in Acts 15, when they made this judgment about should Gentiles keep the law, they specifically admonished Gentiles not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So Paul's going beyond that. That was Acts 15, that where that conference happened. And then this is Romans 14. So he goes on. One person believes he may eat anything. The weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? <laughs> so this is what I was talking about before. Like, yeah, okay. If, if we have different convictions about this, that's okay. Because uh, God loves us all. Because I'm not your Lord. <laughs> we have to yeah. unify to get That's right. right. Yeah, so uh, then he says... Uh, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he, he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So, yeah, he's just, it's, a, it's a call for... Uh, yeah, you, you need to possess your own convictions. Be sure. Study. Be willing to change if you find something that changes your mind and give other people the latitude and freedom to do the same. And we're all working on it together, so that's all good. We're all in process. Yeah. Just to, I, will, I will read them and then you can answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is referring to the prayer. And the yes. Prayer. So my question is, why does it matter what I pray for? And if even does it matter? Um, this is in reference yeah. to the free will versus the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And uh, are some prayers better or more effective than others? That uh -huh. is referring to the prayer of Paul that you mentioned. Right. Okay. Uh, I hate to do this, but I'm going to say yes in answer to the first question. <laughs> yes, it matters. And no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. Yes, it does. So, the answer is yes, both. The one one way I grow is in how well my heart is aligned with His, and so if I pray, I this is revealed in some respect. Yes. So I'm growing, I, I hope, even though Paul says, we don't know what to pray for, we depend on the Spirit. So this is, for that reason, I'd say, well, the Spirit is interceding for you no matter how dumb your prayer is. In that case, it doesn't really much matter how dumb your prayer is. But I don't want to pray dumb prayers. In other words, one of the ways I can grow is my prayers get less and less dumb over time. And that's a good thing because it's, a, it's an indicator that my heart is getting tuned to his heart. That's a good thing. That's kind of the goal. Like I'm being conformed to the image of his son. And one of the ways this can be seen is in how am I, what, what am I asking for? What am I praying? How, how how much work does the spirit have to do to smarten up my prayer? Or you know how Christ-like are my prayers? How yeah, how Christ-like are my prayers? Right. So in that sense, it matters. But he's got me covered. Well, we haven't gotten to the the, the second question was: Are some prayers more effective than others? Uh, and again, I want to say: Well, yes and no. Uh, yes, in this sense, if I pray, especially considering this, what we just talked about, like, are my prayers according to the will of God? Well, the scripture says, if I pray according to the will of God, the answer is yes. Every time, one of the things we might look at, maybe we could do it in part of this study. I, I have another study called, when does God say yes? in which we read a bunch of expressions in the scripture where Jesus or somebody says, if you ask like this, 
he'll give it to you. Well, that would tend to indicate that some prayers are more effective than others, yeah? Uh, at the same time, my prayer with the intercession of both Christ and the Holy Spirit always arrives in the ears of God according to his will. To which the answer is always yes. The question is, do I have, do I sense the effect? Because yeah, I was praying for a new pair of shoes because it's such a long walk to work every day and he's given me a car. And, and I think, well, I, where are my shoes? <laughs> uh, so there's this mismatch between <laughs> the prayer and the answer. Uh, well, I'm quite confident that's happening all the time. And if I, if I prayed for a car, Maybe I'd get shoes. I'd get a car, <laughs> or I'd get shoes because I'm getting fat and he wants me to walk. So uh, yeah, or a bicycle. Yeah. So again, it it sort of depends on my perception of the answer. Uh, but the scripture also does have these passages where Jesus says, "Look, if two or if two or more of you agree on anything, the answer is yes." That's insane. So I want to propose to you guys that we all sit here and pray for a million dollars each. Well, let's say a hundred million. I mean, why think small? And if we all agree, then the Lord is obligated to give it to us. I think it runs deeper than that, but there's something there that Jesus is saying, look, agreement among the disciples is an important component of our praying. So I'm sorry I'm saying yes and no to both of these questions. <laughs> but I really do think there's a yes and there's a no in both cases. One thing Doug said. That's the thing. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, that's right. We're in over our heads. <laughs> but one thing you said before, Doug, somebody was asking you a question similar to that. And Doug's answer was, and I really liked it, which is probably why I remember it. In, in, in that we just look to him and, and we're looking to him for with whatever thing that's going on that means a lot hmm. we're not asking ourselves we're not asking others we're asking him and even if it's dumb at least we're looking we're talking to him, to him. We're, look, we're looking we're looking yeah. to him this is, and this is really probably the most important observation, so I'm sorry I didn't get there already, because we're talking about the things we need that God might provide to us. And when we talk about this, we fail to notice that if I stop and pray, I am operating in possession of the main thing God provided to me, which is access to Him. So I've already, whatever I receive in response to my prayers is way below the fact that I can pray. That I, that I can, in Christ, by the Spirit, walk right into the very throne of God and talk to God like He ought to pay attention is the, the privilege of prayer itself is greater than any of the answers to prayer. And that's really the best answer to your question. Prayer is the thing itself. Where, because in prayer, I'm having a conversation with Almighty God, for crying out loud. What's, what might He give me that would be better than being able to talk to Him? Right. Well, you know, Pastor, what He mentioned is like, to me, the question that He asked, you know, sir, I don't, I don't know, it's not to, to observe anyone, but um, certain people, they have a way of praying, right? And that's, I think the maturity has to do with maturity. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is, that, according to me, if I'm praying for a specific uh, thing, mm -hmm. the, Lord, the one thing that comes to my mind that, you know, before I'm going to ask, how, how, how would I express myself to action? He knows the way. 
So um, for me to be so, you know, yeah, there's no need to here, put on. Honest, you know? Yeah. The, the, the Lord knows who wants honesty. Yeah. Actually, if something comes to my mind, if something when it comes, because we all have that, that, that moment where something that we don't even yeah. want to think about comes from our mind. But we we express it honestly before Him. I think He improves it more than we we trying to. Yeah, yeah. Kind of well, he's not. Yeah, you know, he's. This makes sense to me. You know, it's, it's great. Come yeah. To the point and I'm there. You know. Pray. You might as well pray straightforwardly because God <laughs> understands everything straightforwardly already before you even started praying. And yeah, so the glowing up your words or whatever, I, you know. It gets us someplace with each other. Or whatever. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, Ask for whatever you, you want. Yeah. yeah. If you need it, it could be to me, need. that text where it says we don't know what we should pray for, it gives me total liberty to ask whatever. I mean, if I want this, that, or the other thing, it doesn't matter how foolish I, my prayer is. Of course my prayers are foolish. So just pray, because praying is the thing itself, and the Lord responds according to His great fatherly provi providing nature anyway. So just pray from your heart. The contact that you have with God then is somehow more important than the act of prayer. Uh, it's not the message. Yeah, it's the fact that you're praying. Yeah. The fact that you went to Him. Yeah, it's the relationship. It's like when your That's son right. Comes you, you he's coming to you. He's coming to you. And that means so, uh, in the beginning, you know, whatever he says, if uh, uh, whatever he the kids ask for ice cream, right? Yeah. And the father knows exactly that. The ice cream is not So he's going to provide the right stuff, right? So they ask for something. So we trust Him. We are hungry Him. Well, and every now and then he gives them ice cream because. He just loves them and it tastes good, you know. So, yeah. I'm, I'm turning off the recording now.